0: Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the Organ, Eye, and Tissue Recovery Agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Last week,
1: we discussed the loss of a young man, Trenton Riggins Walker. Trenton died by suicide and his mom and dad, Colnita and Bill Walker, shared their experience with the donation process and the pride they take, knowing that their son is a hero and changed the lives of so many families. We continue the conversation with Colnita Riggins Walker and Bill Walker to learn how they put their grief into action by creating a safe space for other young people called Trent's Room. First, however, we're gonna spend a little time with Alyssa Berman, Manager of Bereavement Services at LifeBank, to talk about death by suicide and the resources LifeBank has to support families who have experienced it. Alyssa works strictly with our donor families. And I'm so happy to have you here to fill in some of the gaps of this suicide conversation. Alyssa, what does make suicide loss different from other types of loss?
2: Well, the common purpose of suicide is to seek a solution. It's not a pointless, random act. It represents, for so many people an answer to a problem that seems unsolvable. And the common goal of suicide is really the ending of consciousness in the sense that someone is feeling such excruciating negative emotion that the only way they can see out of that is by ending a life. And often then we think, well, what are some of the stressors someone who's contemplating this. And usually it's frustrated psychological needs. It's usually someone who has an incredibly high standard of expectations for themselves. And it's very hard to see beyond that. They are often coming up short in their own minds, not in the minds of the people who love them. And so the emotion that people who complete suicide experience is often both hopelessness and helplessness. This sense that they cannot get out of this emotional state and nothing can be done to improve the situation and no one can help. Interestingly enough, the attitude toward suicide itself is often ambivalent in the sense that they wish they could find another way, but they can't. So in addition to that, there's this feeling when you're suicidal of needing to escape, and it provides this very definitive escape from someone's incomprehensible emotional pain. The other thing that's hard for people to understand is there is a level of intention. People do write notes, which means they think about this in some way ahead of time. And many people who have loved ones who completed suicide reflect back and can remember things they said or did that make them think, was there a message in that? Well, absolutely, 80% of people do not indicate clearly what they're going to do. But there are a lot of people who subtly express their desire to not be around. And at the end of the day, these are folks who don't see that perhaps they could learn some lifelong coping patterns. Because if they could, they would be far less likely in the end to take their life because they would feel less isolated and potentially more hopeful about what the future has to offer them
1: mm mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So interesting. What helps those that are left, the survivors of suicide, what helps them heal?
2: So, a few things. One of the most important things that helps people heal is how we talk about suicide. So, for example, the World Health Organization, the National Institute for Mental Health, the American Association for Suicidology, And the American Foundation for Suicide have been really working to change the language from the word commit, which implies that someone has broken a law, to either died by suicide or completed suicide. And the reason why is because there's this implication for families when they feel their loved one has committed some crime that they start to feel isolated and alone. So part of helping people heal in suicide loss is creating a sense of belonging and less of a sense of isolation. In addition, helping people understand that suicide is a traumatic loss. So once they realize that in addition to the grief, they're dealing with trauma and can separate the difference between trauma and grief, there's the process then of Facing that trauma. So people may have recurrent thoughts about the death, feelings of guilt or blame, and perhaps even avoidance of those emotions. So once folks can start talking about that, either with someone they love, in a group, which we certainly do, with a trusted counselor, then they can get to the part where they're grieving. And in that grief, often there's a search for answers. People often ask why or what if and what's the point. Part of healing is coming to a place where you understand that not even the person who took their life could answer that question. And coming to a place of acceptance that we will never really know the answer why. Usually, when I work with families, one of the most important aspects of their healing is shifting that question from why me to what now. Families also will experience periodically feelings of rejection or abandonment from the community. There are some people, and you will hear from a family today who did not feel shame or blame, but there are many people who do, and they feel isolated and alone, which is why one of the aspects of healing that is so important are the groups that people attend, or I even offer a one-time a seminar at LifeBank that directly helps people who have survived suicide and also overdose. An additional worry that people have is that given usually suicide is a result of some struggle with mental illness that perhaps other people in the family will also struggle with this. So usually The best way to deal with that is to make sure that your family members and that yourselves are dealing with their mental health, whether that means a regular visit to the physician or making sure that people are in counseling. Finally, there's actually a common experience amongst folks who have a loved one who struggled with years of mental health that they often don't acknowledge but will acknowledge to me privately, which is that. Of relief. And I wanted to share it because I want to remove the stigma of it. For those people who are dealing with chronically mentally ill loved ones, you're always waiting for that knock at the door. And families have admitted to me in private that when their loved one does die, they're no longer worried about that. They know on a greater kind of cosmic universal level that they're safe. So over time, people do find a way to heal from the grief of suicide. It's just a process of first working through their trauma and then coming to terms with the loss and their grief.
1: Alyssa, in your opinion, what makes families whose loved one was an organ or tissue donor, does that affect their healing or does that help their healing? And then um, I want you to emphasize again what resources LifeBank offers specifically for families whose loved one died from suicide.
2: My experience has been that when loved ones know that their loved one can donate, that it gives meaning and power to an otherwise meaningless and powerless situation. It seems to be the primary way that they can understand the why. If they can get to any why, often the answer has been, well, they saved a life or more. And as far as the resources we offer, our groups here at LifeBank are open to all kinds of losses. And the very specific loss of suicide, we have a one-time seminar that we offer on suicide loss and in all of our support groups child loss spousal loss our general loss group art therapy our two-year plus group and all of those groups over the past 15 years I've always had people in those groups who lost loved ones to suicide so in those groups I always address that issue in its uniqueness and provide tools in those groups to help them. Finally, of course, we offer individual counseling here, free of charge to all families, and very commonly in individual counseling, people will talk about their suicide loss. Thank
1: you so much, and, and you're, you're so full of warmth and compassion and the way you deal with each type of loss. It's so specific, and it's so geared to that family. We really appreciate that. And I want to remind our listeners that you can go to lifebank.org and look for four families. And there's a host of resources on there, including our schedules for what remains this year and 2024. Thank you, Alyssa, for being with us. You are so welcome. When we left off, Bill and Colnita Riggins-Walker were explaining the joy they received knowing other families were preparing for a life-saving transplant that would change their lives forever. We highly encourage you to listen to part one if you have not yet done so. We will pick up the conversation with Bill, sharing his excitement and joy even after losing their precious Trenton.
0: I was just gonna say that the other thing that Colina brought up while he was going into surgery. I remember that she was talking about people getting the call and she was just saying, just think about them packing up right now and scheduling their, their flights and going to the hospital and, and how much joy and hope that those families have. It was something that in a, a difficult circumstance and like our cousin, the, the pastor said, only Jesus can bring life from death and it was so beautiful to think about those families all getting ready it's something that to this day it just it brings me so much joy and the other thing on the recipient of one of Trent's kidneys he called the kidney he got from Trent a super kidney, <laughs> and, even, and, and even the doctor said said that, and it goes back to what I led with as far as him being like an Adonis, wow. and just how healthy he was, and it just literally every day I wake up knowing that my son not gone from this life, that he's providing life to people in this life. It's so gratifying, and, and, and I have to say that the Life Bank staff has been absolutely awesome. Absolutely, just the care, the consideration. One of the things that I didn't bring up is is Brittany sat with me for hours, for hours after I made the decision. And she got us, like, a a conference room, and they brought in snacks for the family, even though they weren't even really there yet. And I remember her writing a beautiful letter to us. She just was was so caring. And And I'll never forget this. I think the part that almost made me just, like, collapse. Was after I made the decision and signed the papers, uh, the doctors were in the room. All the doctors left except for one doctor. And she stood back and she had tears in her eyes and she told me, Thank
1: you. And she said, I don't tell people this, but I was an organ recipient and that's the only reason that I'm here alive today. Oh my gosh.
0: She gave me a big hug. I mean, this was so
1: worth it. This wow. was so, so, so worth it. Wow. Again, it's this duality of donation. We've lost a beautiful child like Trenton, but yet, like you say, several other people have gained a life. And especially that directed donation, it's a miracle that Trenton matched him. You know, so you know that there is a greater plan at work here. There is a bigger vision, and talking about a bigger vision, I want to bring up what you're doing to honor Trenton's legacy, and that's Trent's room. Can you talk about that and what that means for you and your family? It's my pleasure too. And
3: so, when you're going through something like
1: this, none of it will ever
3: make any sense. So I don't even try to. What I had to do was I had to give purpose to. My son's life and what we as a family believe in and wanted to address. And in our society, you know, the challenges of mental health, particularly those that have been impacted by the pandemic is devastating. So I got to work and I just went on autopilot. I can't even tell you exactly what I thought of. I can just tell you that I know I wanted to help other people. I know that I wanted to. Give Trent a living legacy and the opportunity to be able to help young people unpack the challenges of mental health issues and to create a safe space. So Trent's Room Foundation was birthed, and it's a creative space for young people, all ages, uh, to be able to come and talk about anything that they want to talk about, anything, be themselves be authentically, unapologetically who they are in in a faith environment. We also have creative outlets, you know, art, music. We're looking at doing automotive, drama, culinary arts where they can cook, they can draw, they can do fine arts, and it's still evolving. And so we're going to see what God does with it. But for now, you know, when we meet and do community resource fairs, we have a clinician on site. Uh, a licensed therapeutic counselor on site in case you know someone's there and they want to be able to have services and we host this this year will be Trent's second healing walk. Uh, We did the first one last year on his birthday weekend which is November 6th. The walk is typically the first
1: week of November and so yeah that's what Trent's room is. Oh my gosh how beautiful. So if somebody wants to find out more about Trent's Room, where can they do that?
3: They could go to trentsroom.org t-r-e-n-t-s-r-o-o-m.org and um, we'll have a calendar of events on the site and usually to tell what our next upcoming events are. So the next upcoming event is going to be the the second annual healing walk um, where we walk from property that we have in the Lee Harvard community called Docks on Harvard and then we walk down to a park and then we have lunch and a silent auction at the end of that. Um, People are also welcome if you want to reach out to us to find out resources. We're there for that. We also are looking to want to partner with schools and here in the greater Cleveland area to be a resource for young people as well.
0: Yes, and if you don't mind, I'd like to, to add, I think one of the things that really kind of resonated with both of us was, especially the Gen Zers, all of the things that occurred over the last seven years in the world, in the United States, in our lives, were creating such levels of trauma and challenges, especially from our young people, because these were all unprecedented situations. Some of the things that that occurred as far as uh, social and racial injustice, the attack on on the Capitol building, the pandemic, all of these things created such an unstable environment, especially for young people. And you know, if you remember what we usually say as parents or whatever or what we heard when we were growing up, oh, it'll get better, oh, it'll get better. And these were all really items that were uncharted territory. And Trent's grandfather, my father, he passed away within 60 days of Trent's passing and he he really passed from a broken heart. He and Trent were really tight. Uh, but he lived a wonderful, wonderful life. And now this is a man that was in World War II and grew up during the Great Depression. I remember him telling me, he, no, Bill, I'd never seen anything like this. So, you know, we're, we're we're trying to keep things in context. I also wanted to say that the other piece that was really gratifying for us was the ability to help other people. A personal story that I'll share is, you know, when Cornita brought up the the walk, it just so happened that we were able to have the walk last year on Trent's birthday. And as we conclude the walk, our other son and his girlfriend announced to us that they were having a baby.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And it's our first grandson. He's been born. His name is Jacob. I remember us packing up and just being like, "This is so surreal. It's so beautiful." That the same day that we have the walk is when they told us.
1: Circle of life yeah. moment.
3: Right, and then and, and the Terry on that is that Jacob's middle name is Roy, which was Trenton's middle name, so he's named wow. after his uncle. <laughs> yeah, so yes. So thank you so wow. much for your
1: for this, and where we it was our pleasure to be able to. Engage in this. Thank you. No, thank you both. I can't imagine the journey that you've been on. And you so eloquently took us all with you. And I speak for not only myself, but everybody at Life Bank. And I'm sure many of our listeners that our hearts go out to you. And we applaud you for everything you've done to honor Trenton's legacy and to keep his life going. It's not always easy to do, but you guys are doing it in a great way, and you're celebrating the, the unique, sweet, intelligent young man Trenton was, and I thank you for that, and I thank you for sharing your story so openly with us today. You guys are, are amazing.
3: Absolutely. You are very welcome, and we want to be able to partner with LifeBank and be do some volunteerism with you all. and. And continue to be of service, and you know we we also
1: have volunteer opportunities at Trent's Room as well. Well, that's great. We'll take you up on that for sure. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. much. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Trent's Room or support their efforts, please visit TrentsRoom dot org. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening, and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life.
0: Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is dependent on it.